Mr. Johnson. We are about to start our third episode. Could you please push the button? Let's go. Welcome to the Reach and Teach podcast, a ministry of Watermark Wesleyan Church. And now, your hosts, Randy and Dan, helping to connect people to purpose locally, regionally, and internationally. All right, Mr. Ward, today the topic is discipleship. Uh, We're going to get into it a little bit, and uh, we'll be getting into a bunch of other stuff soon. But right now, the topic is discipleship. When I say disciple to you, what pops in your head? Uh, that's a good question. I think um, the first thing that comes to mind is someone, well, is actually the disciples themselves, um, the early disciples following Jesus. That's kind of the first image. That... Let me tell you, I want to stay here and talk about the disciples a bit, but I want to tell you where I'm going. Uh, the scripture that says, go into the, all the world and make disciples of all nations, that scripture so my next question, after we get done talking about the disciples and you explaining that dynamic, I want to go there and talk about what was he talking about? What do those disciples look like? So let's stay where we are. Jesus' disciples, go ahead. Yeah, so the first thing that comes to mind is, is the actual disciples in the New Testament. You have the phrase quite a bit in the Gospels and Acts, and I, I believe that's actually the only place uh, that that word word for disciple is in the New Testament, is in the Gospel and Acts, but it is in there a lot, and it's sort of the central call to us as followers of Jesus is to not only be disciples, but to make disciples. Um, You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, and that that pretty much sums up uh, to me the, the Gospels and Acts definition of a disciple, which is um, you know, there were various disciples in Jesus' day. Uh, the, typically, a disciple uh, was someone who's essentially a learner, a student, a follower um, of a certain um, teacher or uh, prophet. Um, so, so disciples were, were, was a term more broadly used than just Jesus and his followers. Um, but really, that's kind of the central posture of, of a disciple is to be a student, a learner, a follower, uh, almost an imitator. As Paul mentions there in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 1, um, be, an, be essentially an imitator of me as I am an imitator of Jesus. Um, and that's, that's really at its essence what a disciple is. Okay, so then we can just wrap it up right there and call it a day. No, um, <laughs> we're good. That was about the quickest. No. What else you got? What else you got? Well, I want to go into a couple different ways that uh, this can be applied. One, briefly, because I still want to, uh, my main goal is to head towards that next question about making them as we're out there, what that looks like, what we're after there. But talk about briefly about us as disciples, parents of their, our kids. Um, because I know that we don't use that terminology so much, but I think it's pretty evident that that's our role in parenting is to be making disciples of our children because those are our first calling. So um, is it any different? Is there some similarities? What, what do you think about that? Um, 
Well, I guess to back up, what is, what is, you know, to back up, I guess I would start with the question, what is a disciple and what does it mean to make disciples? Um, I, I like the image I, I read an author years and years ago, right? Uh, they had a, a phrase called pacing and leading. So the idea is that kind of going back to the incarnation where Jesus became a human uh, to be with us. Uh, our, our role is really to come alongside of people, to pace, pace with them, and then to help lead them. And so uh, in this context, obviously, that's toward a closer relationship with Jesus and being more Christ-like. And so at its essence, I don't think it's different with our families. Um, I, I think it's primarily the same, which is to meet people where they're at in a very incarnational way, uh, to... When I say meet them where they're at, I mean I was really uh, wondering what the relationship. In, I was wondering what the incarnation, in that other word you used, um, way <laughs> meant as well. Incarnation. Sure. Well, incarnational, incarnational. would be Jesus becoming a becoming uh, human, um, God in the flesh. So, um, I mean, the fact that that Jesus fully God limited some of his own capacities as God. So for instance, being in a finite place in a human body is clearly a limitation of the omnipresence uh, that we know God has according to really the whole of scripture. Um, And so there, there's um, this very real sense in which I think our, our calling is to uh, accommodate is another word that uh, John Calvin John Calvin uses the word accommodation and he talks about how um, essentially Jesus becoming a human um, was kind of accommodating um, our own perspective and our who we are to be able to share the good news with us uh, to be able to um, to meet us where we're at, I guess, for lack of a better way to say it. So that's what you're saying we need to do as we go out is meet people where they're at. Yeah. You know, a good example of this is a good example of this is when I was a kid, um, I remember trying to wrap my mind around heaven and the, the concept of, of death and stuff. And, and then even what does it mean to be a Christian and give your life to Jesus? And I remember my dad telling me, you know, heaven is, is, a place that has fire trucks. And this is when I'm maybe four or five years old. And I, I was asking about heaven. And he said, you know, heaven's a place where they have fire trucks and, and toys. And, you know, he's, he's kind of listing all these fun things to me. And you can look at that a few different ways. One is to say, well, the scripture doesn't say there's fire trucks in heaven. So that's theologically incorrect. The flip side of that would be, uh, you know, are, are there literal roads of gold? Well, the scriptures say that, that there are, yet that may very well be the best, the closest our minds can come, our finite minds to understanding Absolutely. what's far beyond what, what, you know, the beauty of gold. Um, maybe it is literal gold, and I'm not trying to dispute the scriptures on that. The point is simply that um, as we work with kids especially, um, I think it's our responsibility to help them understand scripture and, and who God is in a way that they can understand um, and to, to build a relationship first and, and kind of get on their level. Um, and that doesn't mean we, you know, we 
jump right in and sing, sin alongside of people. But I, but I do think it means that we, we build a relationship and we understand someone's thought processes and, and their mindset and what's important to them. Um, because, uh, you know, people, people come from, come to Jesus from a lot of different angles. And I think we need to understand where they're coming from a lot of times as a tool to be able to help them grow further. I can say this from experience that that is so true when you cross out of our culture and go into other cultures, the whole idea of just going easy on presenting an American gospel uh, as a discipler. Um, we're talking about discipleship today. And, you know, I, I want to uh, just emphasize the idea that when we approach other people in other contexts and cultures, it's imperative that we just take a breath for a minute, or, you know, hold, just hang on a second and let the, you know, they told us when we, we first started doing overseas work that you have to spend a good amount of time in a culture being a trader. And they didn't mean a trader as in somebody that's bad, but a trader as in buying and selling goods, getting into the markets, getting into their culture, and just becoming relational and kind of accepted in and find out what the cultural norms are, because then you can be much more effective. And we see this greatly when Paul goes to Athens and he intellectually engages them in a way that you wouldn't necessarily do if you were going to a, a more rural location. But he, you know, talked about the unknown God and he was very persuasive and very effective because he understood the culture, he understood their, all their gods they had. And, you know, he was very well in tune to the lay of the land before he launched it. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about when you become a discipler outside of our context, uh, our normal context, or sometimes dealing with teenagers. A lot of people, when I was a youth pastor for a long time, used to think I was, you know, how would you even consider doing that? Because they saw them from a different culture. And, you know, they are. But um, it was what I enjoyed entering and getting involved with. <clears throat> Sure. And, and, you know, I think the, the concern some people have about that type of work is, um, you know, the gospel is not a relative thing and it's not something that changes. Um, and so, you know, the concern may be, well, how, how do we do that in a way that doesn't, that isn't changing the good news? It's not changing the message of, of the gospel or who Jesus is. And the reality is, that's really not what it's about. It's, it's actually being like Jesus to meet people where they're at, to understand them better, uh, rather than just try to sort of uh, prescriptively tell them what they need to do next in sort of a cookie cutter approach, which some, some churches and some, some Christians have that perspective. Um, I, I, I think it sort of falls short of, of really understanding the incarnational nature of Jesus and what he did when he did come to earth um, as a human. So to me, one of the ways I used to look at it is it's not about, it's, it's more about taking, learning about what our cultural things are as opposed to the kingdom culture things. I think when you go to another place, it's, recognizing that we have infected our gospel with a lot of Americanism, a lot of uh, thinking that our way is the way. And I think when we really start walking closer and closer to the Lord in terms of 
sensitive to what his culture is, what the kingdom is, uh, understanding how he operates, and getting a lot less of our preconceived ideas about we kind of adulterate a lot, I think, when we just kind of do it our way, because our way is definitely our way, but it's not necessarily the way. And I don't know how to better say that. It probably could be said a lot better. But I just remember how, after a while, I used to realize how much, especially when other Americans came in that were brand new after we'd been there a while, we kind of got the hang of it. But then Americans would come in and they'd be so American. You know, they'd have so many so much baggage in the gospel that is just our own interpretation and not really a biblical sound. I don't even know how to say it, but uh, to, to really just be sensitive to, you know, just saying what the Lord has for you and not more. You know, I, I do think we're called to be humble and I, I do think to recognize that people are coming to faith from very different perspectives a lot of times, and even to see the difference between serving at a rural church in Indiana, a suburban church, and, and uh, you know some urban uh, settings uh, in West Michigan that I was involved in, and, and now to see um, even the differences here in Buffalo, uh, the Buffalo area. Uh, you know, people are coming at faith from very different perspectives and backgrounds, and oftentimes uh, what they need in, in, is very different. And so how we share the gospel and, and how we point them to Jesus is very different. You could, you could even see it uh, in someone who comes to Jesus uh, in a very broken place. You know, people will often come to our churches from uh, really difficult, painful situations in life. And they certainly oftentimes need care and and uh, concern and, and healing and, and help in that way versus someone who comes in, you know, because their spouse dragged them to church and they really don't want to be there. And they're, they're maybe comfortable in their, uh, their maybe lack of faith, even, you know, those are very different places. And it, that reminds me of a, a phrase that um, I don't recall who said it, but uh, they talked about Jesus afflicting the comfortable and comforting the afflicted. Yeah. And so there, there is this kind of, it may have been Bonhoeffer, but I don't remember for sure. Um, but there is kind of this notion, I think, that uh, this kind of core concept of humility and grace that we need to remember that, uh, you know, people are coming from very different places. And, uh, you know, whether it's here in our own country or overseas, and again, you see it kind of highlighted overseas um, because there are such drastically different cultures. But if you go to a rural setting in our area or a suburban setting or an urban setting, you're going to see those different needs and different ways of thinking and living and, and different perspectives on what the gospel even is and who Jesus is. Yep. And so, um, so yeah, I, I think we need to understand that really, really well. What I would add to that is uh, going back to what I, a safe way to proceed, I think would be to just keep it really simple. I mean, I always come back to my, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But then I come back to the great commandment, love you know, uh, love God, love your neighbor, you know, love your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can go out and just demonstrate people, just love on them. You know, it, it just, it's, this, it's the most simple communication of the gospel. I remember my wife and me were in Bosnia. This was post-war Bosnia. 
and just after 9-11, and we're in the middle of a Muslim neighborhood, and we lived next to somebody who lost multiple family members during the war, sitting on the steps, and my wife doesn't speak, you know, very little Bosnian, very little, and me too, uh, even less. And um, She's holding this old woman's hand who just lost her husband, and the woman was just crying. And she did more with that hand-holding of sharing a love, the love that we had to share in that area than anything else we could have done, even if we know the language, just holding her hand. And I saw when I was in Africa, the, just going into an orphanage with uh, some people from people uh, from the Jesus film, we went into an orphanage. The ladies were just holding the babies and taking the load off of other workers that were so overworked and they were just rocking babies. And that's the kind of, of, of engagement that anybody can do in the gospel, no matter who they are, that it doesn't take a rocket science to, to rock a baby, change diapers, just relieve somebody. You're showing them more love in their language, in their real language than you could ever do. Not that you could ever do, but it's just a huge way of communicating the gospel without having to say anything. And there's many sure. examples of that everywhere. There's such need. Yeah. yeah and I, I do think, you know, shining the light of Jesus in that way is sort of the incarnational approach that, that I was referring to earlier. Um, really going to people and accommodating where they're at and understanding and loving them in that place, um, regardless of whether they say a prayer that you wish they would pray or decide to follow Jesus, but to love them where they're at. Um, enough to eventually tell them about Jesus. And sometimes that's sooner than later in the relationship. Um, and I do think there's a declarative sort of um, component for sure to Absolutely. sharing the gospel. But I think we tend to go on either extreme. It kind of, kind of goes to our um, recent conversation about what is the gospel in the first place. Um, the extremes would be to only use words yep. or to not use words at all. Yep. And, you know, I think we need to strike that balance, but there's times where a person really needs one or the other. And that's where I think really getting to know people and building that relationship whenever possible is, is helpful. I think if you're going to be effective at making disciples and being a disciple, it's about understanding that underlying it all is a relationship. First of all, yours with God, but also yours with your prospective disciple or whatever. There needs to be a relationship there needs to be the ability to communicate love and you can't do that without relationships. So, um, sure. And I think as we approach well, and it, I, and I don't think that can be understated either, or oh, I don't think that can be overstated either. Um, when I think about specific people that I've really had a chance to lead to Christ, um, and, and really have seen their roots go down deep into, into God's love as Ephesians three says, um, over time, it's been really out of relationship for me personally. That's kind of how God uses me. Now other people are gifted as evangelists and maybe are, are they just have a different gift mix than I do. But for me personally, um, you know, I just did an interview uh, for the, for um, the church is doing this family night online right now. Um, and I interviewed a friend of mine who's an ER doctor and uh, one of my closest friends and he really kind of surrendered his life to Christ um, a few months after I met him. Um, but that, that really started with, he was kind of going through some stuff and he was pretty emotional. Our first, uh, first time getting together, he was, he was 
pretty emotional about some things and rightfully so they were significant things going on in his life that were very painful. And so, uh, and yet he's also a very sarcastic kind of funny person. Um, and, and so I, I could see he had this sense of humor. He was kind of, you know, uh, he was just a funny, funny person. So the next time we got together, I brought him a box of tissues preemptively uh-huh. and, uh, he absolutely loved it. <laughs> he was dying laughing. That's cool. And, uh, <clears throat> You know, I, I, we met at a restaurant. I carry this huge box of tissues in under my coat. You, you got right to know who you're dealing with to do that. That was great. <laughs> exactly. But he loved it. And from that moment on, like instantly, we were like, you know, very close friends from, from that moment on. I can think of- But that, it goes to the point, you know, I mean, most people that would not be a good win, yeah. you know, after they, you meet with them and cry and, you know, bring them a box of tissues. But, um, but when you're paying attention to who someone is and, and you're, you're focusing on what God's doing in their life and who they are and, and uh, you know, there's a real opportunity, I think, to, to, to sit together. I think we often, we often underestimate the power of a meal together. You know, Jesus dined with these uh, disciples. He traveled with them. He, he spent every waking moment essentially with them other than, you know, brief periods of time where he would get away to pray or he would be, you know, in his public ministry. But um, there's such power in depth of relationship. And we just don't have that a lot of times in our culture today. And so, you know, to try to disciple people without building a relationship, uh, it, it's not the way that God's in, equipped me or most people, I think I would say, to really help other people get to know him better and follow him more wholeheartedly. So that's great. That's awesome. Um, because as we begin to make disciples, we want to make sure we've, I mean, again, it starts with relationship and it's also not hard. It's as easy as making a friend. Uh, and, you know, we, we may have, I, I, don't, I don't even think it should be an ulterior motive that we're being a friend to make a disciple. We should make a friend to make a friend because being loving and let that, our discipling, or are introducing them to Christ be something more natural and organic if possible. Um, obviously, we don't, if we really care about somebody and we don't want to see them, you know, live a life without Christ, it's going to come out if we care about them. I mean, it's going to be a natural thing. And we, I don't think we have to make it a, I don't think we have to, you know, there's this idea of getting up on a soapbox or whatever to always be in this overly aggressive mode. I think the timing listening to the Holy Spirit as you begin to approach a discipling opportunity is to just be real sensitive to say, Lord, if there's a way for me to introduce you to them today, let's make it a real natural thing. You know, invite the Lord to the process. I think it's really important. Yeah, I think that's the key because it's easy to go into every relationship and every person we interact with and try to point them to Jesus. It's another thing to uh, take that a step further and almost be coercive or, um, you know, force our agenda when a lot of times, um, you know, a lot of people really want someone to listen to them. They want to be able to process some of these, you know, important concepts. And yet, you know, none of us really like trying to be converted. I mean, we all avoid like the plague, uh, you know, we avoid, which is actually, I didn't think about this, that term. I haven't, thought about that phrase since coronavirus started, but it's actually a more fitting term now probably than ever because we are avoiding like the plague, all that's going on and, and it's very real. But, but 
So maybe a bad choice of phrase, although I think it is very poignant now. But we do avoid that when we see someone selling, you know, the windshield repair guy in the mall or someone trying to sell us something anywhere or people, you know, coming up our, our driveway. We don't want to be sold what someone else thinks is good for us. And so, um, you know, it's, it's an old adage that, you know, John Maxwell popularized leadership author years ago. Um, I'm sure someone else came up with it. Uh, but he always, he always said, people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. And it's a simple, you know, it's, it's not certainly right from a Bible verse, but I do think it captures a lot of the principles we're talking about, which is, um, you know, I think a good litmus test is, can you be friends with someone who's not a Christian and can, and do they feel like you love them less because they're not a Christian? Right. And if you can't, you can't get over that. It's, it's, I think it's time for a heart check. And, uh, you know, I have friends that I love dearly that, you know, they know my faith. They know where I'm at with, with God. Um, we talk about it, but they're just not believers. And I pray for them. I hope they, they come around, but I, you know, I try to love them even more, um, than I did before because I want them to see that love and, you know, yeah. So, but I have friends who are very, you know, very much opposed. I have one buddy who, um, I mean, he's, he's a very active atheist and, um, you know, I, I keep praying he'll, he'll come to know Jesus, but I love the guy anyway. So, so um, let me, let's, let me push that a little bit further, just because we're talking about discipling today, discipleship and being a disciple and trying to move the, expand the kingdom through discipleship. You've got circle in your family. Uh, you've got circle of close personal friends, and they're all at different places. Some of them aren't saved yet. I like to call them pre-Christians in a way of hoping. Um, but what? where do you feel obligated, or is there this, well, if I don't say something, I'm, you know, I like to feel that the Lord's going to give me an opportunity or prompt me in some way by his Holy Spirit, that it'll be some something I'll sense or feel. But then you get into the weird area of being a feeler and sensor and not a, you know, the Bible says it, you do it. Where do you come and how do you know when to move when somebody is in their, still in their pre-Christian state? Yeah, so I think there are skills that can certainly help um, in this area. So... Um, skills as simple as active listening, being a really good listener and knowing how to listen well and how to listen for what people are saying and how to feedback what they're saying in a way that demonstrates not only that you've heard them, but also in a way that gives them a chance to clarify if you've missed something or, or if you're not understanding well. Um, you know, so active listening, clearly articulating the gospel, knowing how to, how to do that. There are, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can grow in that, uh, and so there's, there's sort of the skills that we can learn, but then there's simply the reliance on the Holy Spirit's guidance um, because we can't do it in our own strength, but we certainly can listen to the Holy Spirit's uh, leading and prompting as we're talking with people. And, you know, I have one, the friend I mentioned who's an atheist, um, his parents are very well balanced in their faith. They're strong believers. Um, so there was a long period where I really didn't mention faith at all with him. I prayed for him all the time, and I always looked for opportunities to talk about it. Um, but there was a period where every time I would go to say something, I really felt God saying, 
just don't don't say it don't you know don't go there right now just care about him let him let remind him that you care um, just be a good friend to him right now and he the thing is he already knew the perspective of where I was coming from really well he could articulate it as well as I could to be honest um, just with his background and some some yeah and and even where his parents were at um, but he ended up he did kind of come to a, a softer place toward the church and I think um, toward God and he's less hostile about some things um, and I'm seeing God move in his life. Um, I have another friend that uh, he was really close to crossing the line and, and making a decision to follow Jesus for quite a long time and it was the same thing. Regularly we would be talking and I wanted to push him to cross the line and I just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying nope don't do it not yet. Um, I have other work to do you know um, and there was movement toward toward God. Um, I could see in his heart that was happening. And so I, I, you know, unless I really sense the Spirit saying don't, my tendency is to, to try to weave in Jesus to the conversation. Um, so those would be a little bit more rare circumstances maybe. But, but I do think that combination of really knowing how to listen well to the Holy Spirit yeah and growing in that mature. I mean, that's really a lot of that is maturing in faith, I think. Um, and then combining that with skills that we can continue to hone, uh, it really sort of makes us an unstoppable force, uh, for, for making disciples. Um, and then we add to that growing in love and loving people better. Mm. Um, I mean, that's, to me, that's the perfect combination of how to, be a disciple who makes disciples. Um, and there certainly is a level of intentionality with this too, that, you know, uh, Let me, it's interesting because at this, it, you know, on the one hand, we don't want to force our agenda on people. Um, but at the same time, we need to be intentional in that our calling is to make disciples. So I'm assuming that a lot of people that are listening to us are already in that they're already being a disciple themselves. My question to you now is take one of those people and we're going to now they're going to want to go out and share their faith they're going to want to make a disciple of their own uh, that's what this is all about they're petrified i'm petrified to go into this room with people i don't know and help out somewhere how can i let's say that somebody wants to get involved in a ministry downtown that we're connected with that we're partnered with how would you how would you encourage them to not be afraid? Maybe they're not afraid, but some people it's like, wow, I'm going to work with maybe there's some ladies at the at a, at, with Path or something, and they're going to they're they're kind of out there a little bit and uh, have been through some experiences that we cannot relate to directly. Uh, you know, can you speak to that or or any of the ministries? There's people that are in all different places. You know. And you're going up to somebody that you might not feel real comfortable with going up to. How how should you prepare yourself to do that? Sure. Well, I, I think there's a couple different angles to approach it from. One would be, uh, you know, the, the scriptures talk about discovering using our spiritual gifts. So that would be one where I'd say, you know, if you're gifted in an area, there may not be the same level of intimidation than if you're just jumping in to help fill a need or to serve somewhere. Um, and both are, both are important. Um, 
But I would say for me, a priority would be discovering the gifts God's already given you as a believer and leaning into those as your first priority, because that's where you add the most value to the body of Christ um, from, from the scripture perspective. Um, now, serving is important as well, but I would say it's, it's almost more important that you're building relationships to serve. And so in that, you can still use your spiritual gifts. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll have to do another podcast at some point about how to, how to discover those. We've had some, you know, we regularly offer classes at church. Um, uniquely, you is one of them. Um, kind of looking at how God's gifted you and wired you. Um, but the other side is, you know, being a disciple, we want to serve and we want to help meet needs. And so when we do just jump in and we're, we're nervous, I guess I'd start um, at the place of saying, remember the gospel is uh, the good news of Jesus that, uh, that, that we're forgiven and we're part of God's family. And, um, you know, really serving each other is just part of being a family. So whether you're nervous about meeting new people or being in uncomfortable situations, um, you know, I think that is a fundamental part of being a, a, a disciple is uh, being uncomfortable and trusting God to help navigate, you know, step by step where you're going and where he's taking you. So. Can you recall back when you first began to get, in your, get yourself into these situations and just, I mean, cause I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, the, the greatest place to be is when you're really in an awkward position and all of a sudden the Lord gives you something to say and you start talking and if you're, when you're done, you go, where'd that come from? Because the Lord really does keep his promises when he says, you know, to trust him and, and he'll give you the words to speak because he does. And uh, have you experienced that? Yeah. You know, it may just be because I'm talking with you, but one of the, one of the first places I remember seeing that was uh, you were a youth pastor and uh, I had gotten to know you a little bit and was helping out uh, with the youth group. And I played guitar a little bit. I only, I only learned how to play to be able to, to play worship songs um, kind of personally and uh, maybe to be able to help out, you know, with youth group stuff here and there. Uh, eventually I ended up leading worship often for us at the, the youth ministry there. And uh, that was something I was kind of terrified of. I didn't feel like I was good at. Um, and yet God used that in major ways. A bunch of kids would come out and, and worship with us. Um, you know, kids were giving their lives to Christ during the worship times. A lot of times, um, you know, uh, Joe Thurston is one of our worship leaders at church. He, he was involved in that. Uh, he actually told me a couple of weeks ago, he started playing guitar, uh, because he was playing the drum, the cajon for me one day, uh, with me. And, uh, he realized he's not very good at the drum, uh, the drums. So he, he thought he should start maybe checking out the guitar, um, so God used that kind of uh, in a formative way for him. Uh, when I ended up leaving to go to college, uh, Joe Miller, who's a worship leader um, at Life Church in Buffalo, um, involved with the worship ministry. I think he's one of the pastors there. Um, I've, been, I've talked to him a little bit here and there, but um, we haven't really caught up in a little while. Uh, but anyway, when I left, he had never led worship before. And I said, Joe, you're the, you're the worship leader now. <laughs> he reminded me this years later. I forgot about it. He said, yeah, you uh, appointed me worship leader. So I took over and I've never had led worship before. And, you know, God has used that. He's been, in his, he's his been all over the region. Ministry. He's played to thousands of people. 
Yeah, he's left yeah, the text. And he told yeah. me recently that he was in the church that, um, who's the lady that sings? Uh, who's the one that sings? It is well from. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know her name, but. Yeah, um, it'll come to me. But anyway, she uh, was somebody he encouraged, and he was just saying how, mm. how just passing along, you know, you know, we encouraged him, he encouraged her, and now she's encouraging the world with with music from, uh, I don't know which 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 church she's from, but it's on the YouTube. She's got wow. millions of hits, you know, so it's it's pretty cool. Um, wow. So yeah, just stepping out, I think in. And doing things we're uncomfortable with when there's a need sometimes is really a great way to see God move. Um, that's not to say that we should only do that. I mean, there's examples in, in the scriptures where, you know, uh, some of the apostles refused to wait tables because uh, they they have more important ministry to do, and 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 interceding in prayer was one of them at that time. And so, you know, there, I I think one of the things I would say is there's not a one size fits all, but there are some sort of uh, key components that are typically you typically God uses. Um, and, and one of those is, is stepping out in obedience when the spirit leads us and prompts us to do something, um, whether we're nervous about it or, or not, um, isn't necessarily an indicator of whether we should do it, but, um, but there are times where we're nervous and, and God calls us to kind of lean in and, and trust the spirit. And sometimes those are some of the most amazing ministry opportunities we have. I want you to talk a little bit about how uh, community groups help this process um, because it's like to me a, an essential or a very important step in just getting acquainted with new people and testing out our, because when you're in a group like that, you're actually discipling each other in a way, I think. And it's a great place to be discipled and also to offer whatever you have. And sometimes people that are brand new in the Lord are the ones that can share something that changes somebody else that's been in the Lord a long time. So I don't think it's a matter of, it's not like your chronological chronological age when you're, you know, walking with the Lord. It's, he can bring stuff out of anybody and he, he often does. So can you talk a little bit about community groups? Yeah. So I, I really do like community groups um, for a few reasons. One is, kind of at our most basic level, being made in the image of God, we are communal beings. You know, we're in this time of coronavirus quarantine right now, and many of us are realizing just how much we rely on seeing people and interacting with people day, day in and day out. And we're really longing for that, many of us. And, you know, uh, we have Zoom calls all day and phone calls, and, and we're still seeing people's faces. But um, and that does help, but, but there's something, there's an innate need for connection as, as people. And you, I mean, you see that all over the place, you know, the, the worst punishment essentially for someone in prison is solitary confinement for a reason. We're not meant to be alone. Um, even back to Genesis, um, you know, God creates all this stuff and sees that it's good. And then he notices it's not good for man to be alone. Um, and I think you can say that's just as true today. It's not good for people to be alone. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And so when we're, when we're trying to, when we're trying to grow in our faith, then, uh, you know, having people around us uh, is the very image of God. You know, the God is, we know him in scripture is a trin Trinitarian God. We, we know the father, son, Holy spirit. 
God is a being that's in community. Um, and so to think that we don't need community is, is not a great idea. So the, the, the need for community is important. A lot of times in our culture today, we don't have a great sense of community. I, I spoke with someone from, I forget what country he was from, somewhere in Africa, uh, a couple months ago. And he's, he's lived in a couple different countries, and a few different countries rather. And he said one of the things that he, he loves about here is the, the safety and the peace. And, you know, he kind of joked, he said, it's nice not knowing if someone's going to come into your village and murder your family every night, which you know, to me was wow. sort of shocking, but that was his reality for a long time. And, wow. and I think that that humor was part of his ability to cope with that. You wow. Know? Yes. Um, Amazing. So he, he said, so that's kind of nice, you know? Um, and he was, he was sort of making light of it, but he was very serious at the same time that to have that sense of peace is, very reassuring. And yet at the same time, he said, the challenge though is I go to work and I go home and I shut the door to my apartment and I don't, you know, neighbors don't know each other. It's very isolating and, and lonely. And there's not that sense of community and connection. And so I think to realize that a lot of us in our society are in need of deeper connections, um, especially when it comes to growing in our faith, because we're, we should be processing what's most important to us, what, what we're doing well, we should have some accountability, um, you know, to, to keep moving forward and, and uh, to, to continue to mature in our faith. Um, and so, you know, we have uh, teaching content on Sunday mornings at church. We have teaching content um, at our community groups. Uh, but the, the benefit of the community group is really that you're sitting in a circle rather than sitting in a row. So, uh, in other words, uh, sitting in a row, you're kind of listening, taking information in, or you're singing, you're kind of uh, praising the Lord. But but circles versus rows is important because while you do need to get information, while we do need to worship God uh, through singing and other ways, uh, to, to sit in a circle with someone sort of creates a bit more um, sense of equality, of, of all needing each other, interdependence. Um, and really, you know, as the scripture say in Proverbs, uh, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Um, and so there's a sense that as we're in this, on this journey together, um, we're learning from each other, we're encouraging each other, and we're hopefully being the body of Christ together. So that's a very long response. But well, I, all I know is this, is that never have we grown more than we were involved with a community group. I mean, this is going back years and years. And it's it does so much for you just holistically with relation and the multitude of counsel is great wisdom, the Bible says, and that you get that in a community group without even paying for it. You get great counsel. And yeah, yeah. when you do life out loud and in front of people in in a transparent way, you it's, there's so much benefit and uh, it, it, in so much mental health, if I could, you know, we, we, we can get ourselves so boxed up and we're not in relationships with the body. And it, it's, it's just so important. It says, you know, we're two or more are gathered. He's in the midst. I think he likes hanging out in groups like he did, you know, <laughs> you know, that's where he likes to hang out. So I think things happen in well, groups. You're right. And if you just look at the issue of solidarity, yeah. uh, how powerful it is, to have other people standing alongside of you or to know that other people are going through the same situation. Um, it is transformative. It's powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, 
to have a different perspective is, you know, um, to have your, a paradigm shift is one way to say it. When you learn something that just changes the way you think about things, yeah. um, you know, that happens regularly when you're exposed to different perspectives and ideas and, and ways of processing maybe the same Bible verse um, in a very, with someone with a very similar, you know, worldview and, and faith view can say something about a, a verse that changes the way you see God and the way kind of opens up the reality of, of the scripture sometimes. And so, um, yeah, I don't think uh, it, it's, it's critical to have, and you know, to me, community groups are just sort of a means to the end. The end is we have strong relationships with like-minded people trying to grow in faith. Right. Um, and, and so, um, you know, I'd much rather have a group that meets for a year where the guy, you know, the people become really close friends yep. and are strong Christian friends, you know, encouraging each other, cheering each other on, helping each other grow. than a group that, you know, meets for 20 years, but stays really surfacy, um, you know, because I think the power is in the body of Christ being there for each other um, relationally. It, it also uh, not just in you know it's also one of the things that makes a big church small because I, I i was spent a lot of time in a small church and uh the church that we were working together in a long long time ago um if you go back even years before that there's a group of people there that to this day most of them now are here at watermark are you could start a conversation with somebody you haven't seen after you've had that kind of relationship and it's like you never missed a beat and i know that's you know we spent a lot of time together for a season and it's like we've never been apart but it's been what 15 20 years apart and then all of a sudden right, boom right. it's like and it's like you never miss a beat because there's your, your hearts are knit together in just a great way yeah. and when we do discipleship when we go out and we be, make disciples those are the kind of things you want to sew together is this fabric of god's people that is because you can. I've been so many places, Dan, and I run into people that I don't even know, but they've already been woven into the fabric of the kingdom. And it's like you can. It's like that person of peace talked about when when he sends out the seventy-two. Find a person of peace. When you find somebody, and I think that's somebody that has this fabric in them, it's like just such an amazing thing because you can instantaneously talk about a million different things like your brothers because you are. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I know I you've been a good place to different be. places and I know you've ran into that too, where you, you run into somebody and it's just like they're on the same wavelength. They're just they're 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 in. They're connected. And uh it's, sure. it's it's just amazing. Well there's a kin there's a there's a kindred spirit I think that um is is very real. You know, I, I do think we can have those types of friendships with people who well, aren't believers, but there's something different and special and unique absolutely. about believers connecting as part of the body of Christ around the world. I mean, it really is unique uh, and unlike anything else that any other type of connection we can have with somebody. Absolutely. And even if you're, even if you connect with someone in another part of the world that you have nothing in common with, mm -hmm. and you know, I have good friends that are dear friends, you know, we've lived a lot of our life and faith out together 
and we have nothing in common, almost nothing, you know, other than our faith. And, and I think that's a beautiful component of being a part of. I think back to this pastor down in Mexico, we were in the, death, the heart of the city of Mexico City along this freeway, this really, it just was a very intense part of town. And we were up in the second floor of this building that was the church, crammed in with a bunch of people. But me and this pastor, both that night and then the next day, we connected so deeply, so quickly, because we were both built from the same, you know, we just were so, it was just such a great experience. And I remember that. Then there's been hundreds of those where you just run into people and you're bringing them back to my mind now that, uh, you know, they're like brothers I have everywhere now. And, and we do. We literally do. And that's why being a part of connecting with these ministries that were these opportunities that we're going to be bringing out and different things is all good. It's just an amazing time. Even when it's really hard, you come home and it's just so good. So anyway, I think it's a good place to wrap it. Uh, we kind of wandered a little bit, but I think that's the idea here. So thanks. Absolutely. That was great. Good chatting with you as always. All right. We'll wrap it for here and I'll probably, well, we'll see. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> See ya.